This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez at Cincinnati Comic Expo, and everybody likes to drink, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the drink. Hi, this is Marcus Toe, artist for Red Robin. You've been listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. Good for them. Love the drink. Got to love the drink. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I am your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 112. And this is also the second episode in our Robin 80th anniversary shows that are going to be going on all year long. Knock on wood, hopefully. Uh, the show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman. And of course, Robin, that's celebrating 80 years. And we're also associated with Batman on Films podcast, BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. So between the Batman universe, our primary site, and Batman on Film, you can find us and a whole plethora of other, of other Bat family shows. You can get a hold of us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves a Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. We have an Instagram page. And I feel so, it feels so funny saying if you want to email into the show, and I'm horrible about writing emails into shows that I listen to and uh, my guest is chuckling because I know I listen to his show quite frequently and I don't send many emails so there's this no is just, evidence to that fact there's no evidence that's right <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to send an old school email dust off your keyboard or you can use your smartphone and send us one at Robin ELTD podcast at yahoo.com and we have a YouTube page it's kind of stagnant at the moment but we'll try and get some content up there like I said I'm your host and with me on today's episode is somebody that I've been wanting to have in, on the show for a while. And I got to say, having two co-hosts that are in the Carolinas, I'm like, I need somebody from Ohio. Who do I know that lives in Ohio? I need someone smart. I need someone that's a professor. The only professor I know is Professor <laughs> Alan Middleton. How are you doing today, sir? Awesome. OH! I-O. See, that <laughs> podcast over... I do that with Ryan and Terrence, and it goes nowhere. And I'm like, so they try to spell out North Carolina. I'm like, I'm sleeping, guys. It's it's too long. It's it's the, a thing that only Ohioans get. The, because the, the the funny thing is, if if you try that like in a certain state up north, 
You get M I S H G M N O N M G. Yeah, what? they, they got they got to start using like wood blocks and kazoo's and very confusing. Very, very confusing. Very, yeah, there. I just like to call the mistake by the Malake if I'm if I'm, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Sorry, any uh, Michigan fans out there. Well, it is great to be on the show yeah. and uh, great to meet you. Great to talk to you. Yes, definitely. Host of the Relatively Geeky podcast, The Quarter Bin. I, I absolutely love that. And the gems that you managed to pull out of The Quarter Bin, I don't know if you're just in a better part of Ohio than I am, but I'm always like, <laughs> I can't I can't find, like, where are the shops that you are going to that you are finding <laughs> these gems? And I figure the book... Can I go on a limb and say the book that we're talking about today you got for a quarter? I think 50 cents. Ah, oh, man. Well, for I, a quarter, I'd have saved it for my show, buddy. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought maybe you were doing me a solid here. So, <laughs> um, But I actually paid a dollar more than cover price for this, which we're bearing the lead here. Today, we're going to be talking about detention comics, which I didn't even think was a thing. We've been talking about this for a while. We interviewed Denny O'Neill almost, geez, three years ago. We have yet to release the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Ryan has started an Azrael podcast, and he's trying to get it off the ground. And Denny was instrumental in writing the Jean-Paul Valley Azrael book. So Ryan had a lot of conversations. We had a lot of conversations with that and the creation of Tim Drake, yada, yada, et cetera. And Ryan's like, this would be great to launch the episode. And it's taken Ryan about three years to get the show <laughs> off the ground. And he's like, it'll be great. We'll do this two-parter back and forth. So I'm like, I'm afraid that something's tragically going to happen to Denny. And then it's going to be, it's going to seem like we, we're pulling this out of the ether. So one of these days, folks, this magical interview that I swear that we had is, is going to show. I mean, it's going to be perfect. You could time that with the Azriel's, uh, you know, appearance on Gotham. And Oh, whoops. Whoops, yeah, probably. Never mind. (laughs) Probably not. But uh, it it was in that conversation that he had mentioned writing this, and we're like, he wrote a story about Tim Drake? So we did a lot of, you know, some quick digging, and I was like, I can't believe this this book just flew under the radar. So, But before we get to our... Our featured topic. I I wanted to ask you just about yeah. your your history with Robin, and you know the correct answer is always Tim Drake, but I, I know people have other opinions. But oh <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, what was your first exposure to to the Robin character? Did you have affinity for the character, and if so, you know who's your favorite Robin? Well, my history with Robin is based solely on my age, and you can say on mm. my advanced age. I assume I, let's just say, I am more of a life veteran than you may be. Um, For me, when I was eight, you know, 10 years old, whatever it was, I was a viewer of the Batman 66 reruns. And then around that same age, my parents bought me the hardcover, awesome collection, Batman from the 30s to the 70s. Mm, Nice. So for me, it's, you know, Dick Grayson is implanted or imprinted on my brain. As as Robin, you know, Robins come and Robins go, and you know Dick Grayson himself. Sometimes he's Nightwing or Grayson or Rick. Really, oh, come boo. on. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, he's always Robin, and 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 Robin uh, is always him. Although I do have to say this: this isn't going to help me on this show either. <laughs> but I do have to say that the version of Damian Wayne 
who appeared in the two recent Super Sons miniseries from the last couple of years, alongside Jonathan Kent. By far the best series when it was coming out, my favorite DC series. Oh, I will agree that all day long. I yeah. have really grown to love the Damien character and that book in coordination with what he was doing with Patrick Gleason on the Batman and Robin New 52 yeah. run really cemented right. my my appreciation for Damien. So Damien's actually quite up on the high of uh, my favorite Robin list. Yeah, I thought you know, this, the relationship between those characters and those series, the clashing of their very distinctive and dissimilar personalities, that take on Damien was easily the take on, on the Damien version that I've enjoyed uh, more than any other. Another question I've been asking people is... Robin still important to Batman is can you still say Batman and not have to say Robin or DC from time to time will want to put the two together and as of lately Batman and Robin really haven't had any interaction for quite a while do you think the two should still be linked together somehow you know it's a, it, it it it's an interesting question sort of asking it both ways does Batman need a Robin does Robin need a Batman sort of two obviously related questions, but they aren't the same question and, and might not have the same answer. I mean, the new 52 totally messed this up in mm, terms yeah. of having however many Robins and however short a period of time. But I do think in general, Batman needs to have had a Robin in his past, maybe more than one. I, I don't think he needs one necessarily at all times, every moment of every day or every issue or every run. Right. But I, I do think it's important that in his career somewhere that, 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 that includes periods of time where he's a mentor to young heroes, uh, specifically those from background, you know, that's sort of similar to his, you know, mm -hmm. where he can really use that influence, use his life experience as a guide. And, you know, at the same time, I think it's important for Robin or the Robins to have had Batman uh, in their past. And I, I prefer it when that relationship with Batman is more positive than not. Yeah. Uh, not, not exclusively positive. Um, you know, we always have issues with our father figures, whether they're literal fathers or not, or mentors or, 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 or teachers. Um, you know, no relationship is exclusive exclusively positive right but i do hope that batman and robin are changed for the better by their time together you know i like that aspect of their of their history and in comic books the concept of the sidekick has really faded away i mean obviously this was yeah. what the 1940s was all about right and you know, certainly kid sidekicks of course but I, so i think sort of from that perspective from a way of of setting these characters off as a little bit Ironically, what what was cookie cutter <laughs> eighty years ago now really sets them apart as as distinctive. Yeah. So I think I think that Batman Robin relationship affords you know opportunities for both of those characters, or however many characters there are in <laughs> right. Batman and Robin, to be sort of just different kinds of heroes than most of the other ones nowadays. Which again, obviously, when the idea of teen sidekicks and Robin was was debuted, it was. The mandatory <laughs> that, that every character have a kid sidekick, and now it's it's almost verboten. So this is weirdly enough the, the one common mainstream 
exception to that rule. So in that way, it's it's a unique aspect. It it, it makes uh, the character stand out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the idea of of Robin means today? I know people will say what what Batman means to them and what he stands for. What for you personally? What does what does the idea of Robin mean today? Be it Damien, Tim, Dick, mm-hmm. Jason, or whomever. Mm. You know, I I hope that it means mentoring, training, teaching, strong adult leadership. I hope that it means learning responsibility taking important steps toward maturity, towards growing up. And to some extent also, I, I think it means that sometimes you, know, you have to make your own community. You have to make your own family. I really enjoyed, I think it was in the Detective Comics run, probably the Rebirth era, mm. where, where where it was Team Batman. Right. And that team included you know, Clayface. It included some you know wonky characters. And yeah. And a number of Robins and former Robins and future Robins and past Robins and alternative <laughs> Robins, you know. And there were times when they would literally bring the whole family together, um, right? You know, for uh, uh, very you know crisis-like uh, moments. And I, th- I think it's kind of cool that this street loner character. Think of it from the from the from the uh, say from the father perspective, from the Batman perspective. That this uh, you know this loner creature, Dark Knight detective, has been able to acquire a really devoted following of mentees. Yeah. Well, the last question is the item that's probably in front of both of us, I would assume. For this episode, what led you to choose the book that we are going to be uh, discussing today? Well, first off, I love puns. <laughs> so I'm flipping through the 50-cent bins at Pulp Reality, and I run across something called Detention Comics. And, you, you, you know, you, you flip through things pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and it's a case of flip, 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 flip. Wait. Did I just see what I thought I said? That must have said detective. But I didn't recognize the font. Flip back, flip back, flip back. Detention Comics. Okay. That's pretty funny. Yes. I'm going to grab this one because <laughs> also my my rule is if it's 50 cents or a quarter and it's at least 50 pages or, you know, multiple stories, that's almost an an, an automatic purchase. Right. So three pretty full length stories. I guess one of them is maybe a 10 or 12 pager, but whatever this is, 48 pages or something like that for 50 cents. I cannot resist. And that was uh, that was probably within a week or two of when you reached out to a bunch of us podcasters mm-hmm. about this 80th anniversary thing. So uh, I you know, I chose it because at that point, it was certainly the most recent Robin story that I'd read. It was freshest in my mind, and it, it hadn't gotten uh, buried under a pile <laughs> of other comics. I was able to find it quickly. <laughs> and and I, uh, I, guess, I, I, I guess spoilers, I kind of enjoyed the story, too. <laughs> nice. And I gotta imagine having Guy Gardner Warrior on the front cover was also a, a big, a big. <laughs> if that doesn't epitomize the '90s right there, I don't, I don't true. know what what else does. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I'm a firm believer that I think this applies to uh, some of us in the uh, in the podcast world and then other areas of pop culture. I, I, I certainly think with this comic, you come up with a name that's too good to not use. 
Yes. So somebody at DC probably made the joke about detention comics. <laughs> and someone else said, you know, <laughs> we have some characters with school-related uh, storylines. Boom. There we go. Yeah. We we could sell that for three fifty. <laughs> yes, definitely. I think definitely you could have. And I wish this guy right here was paying attention in 96 when I was at the height of buying my comics that I, especially with having Tim on the front cover, this should have been in my long box yeah. for decades. I've got a feeling a lot of these one shots just must have flown over our heads yet under the radar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if, if if we weren't actively you know, looking through previews and would we have been 25 years ago? I mean, yeah, I guess maybe in house ads, I don't even remember seeing this particular one in a house, you know? No. So it, it would have had to have been, you know, browsing the shelves, I guess. And, but uh, you, you would, you would have had to have stumbled upon it in some way, I think to have purchased it back then. I don't know how that communication would have gotten out that this thing existed otherwise. Right. Exactly. Well, I think this is a good spot for us to take a little promo break, and I, I'm just going to try and find some any old random promo that I can find to put in here. I think you know hey. what I'm going to throw in here, folks. <laughs> so, yes, we'll have a couple promos from our featured guest today, and when we come back, we'll hear a synopsis of Detention Comics number one. You're going to want to get this one graded, folks. It's it's a number one. Okay, well, maybe not. <laughs> when we come back, uh, Professor Allen and I will discuss detention comics and, more importantly, the Tim Drake-Robin story inside. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast and iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. <laughs> it's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing 
to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. I hope he's home. Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah, I know. And modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's JL May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. (laughs) Well, look at you leading this year's JL May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child. The theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from a Long Box covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant. And from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes. Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, Don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. J.L. May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020. On Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast.
All right, and now the synopsis and credits for Detention Comics. This comes, of course, to us by the way of Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, a great resource for all your comic book information needs, a great resource for all you podcasters out there, which many of you use. So the credits for Detention Comics read as follows. The cover date is October 1996 with an on-sale date of August 14th, 1996. The cover price was a whopping $3.50 because this was a special. The page count is 64 with the editor of the overall comic being Eddie Berganza. Now there are three stories in this. There's a Guy Gardner story called Home, a Superboy story called The Lesson, and for this show, we are, of course, going to be doing the Robin story, Mama's Boy. So the credits for Mama's Boy read as follows. The page count is 22 for this one. The writer is Dennis J. O'Neill. So Denny O'Neill, this is his only Robin solo story that... I'm made aware of. So that was cool in and of itself that Denny O'Neill is writing a Robin story. The penciler is Norm friggin' Brayfogle. Ah, just let that sink in. Norm Brayfogle on a solo Robin story. This is... Uh, you'll hear more about it. So the penciler is Norm Brayfogle. The inker is Klaus Jansen, which blew me away that Klaus Jansen was inking this story. The letter is Christopher P. L. Peloso, if I'm saying that correctly. Probably not. And the color is Jason Wright. The cover credits for this, the penciler is Joe Phillips, and the inker is Dexter Vines. And now the synopsis for Mama's Boy. It's a dark, stormy night in Gotham City. But when isn't it, really? Where Robin is high atop a construction site for Gotham Heights High School's new site, holding a pipe, trying to talk a classmate out of doing something stupid, fighting him, and making the situation worse. He has an algebra exam to study for, but he's on a rooftop facing a classmate who's trying to crack his skull. Robin tells Ray he doesn't want to hurt him, and that's true. It'd be easy to take him out. He could just dance around Ray for a while to wear him out for this battle. He looks strong, but uncoordinated, and not real fast, so maybe he'll listen to reason. With all of his moving around, Robin doesn't realize he's stepping on a loose board in the construction site. And before he knows it, he's airborne. But not in a good way like Superman. But no, more like a bowling ball that's been dropped off a building, heading down to the ground. If he doesn't figure a way to get out of this free fall, in about eight seconds, they're going to be able to scoop him up in a pizza box for the funeral. Maybe we should back up a few weeks and see how all this transpired. Two weeks earlier at Gotham Heights High School, you know, the run-down one, Coach Cassidy is working with the Gotham Heights High School track team when he hears an all-too-pleasant voice coming up behind him. It's Mrs. Ferdinand. Coach Cassidy has just benched Ray Ferdinand, telling Ray that track just might not be the thing for him. And he's about to say I'm sorry when Mrs. Ferdinand comes up and says, I bet you are. She comforts her son by saying, oh, my sweetie, my snookums, my little baby boy, and then lays into Coach Cassidy and tells him that she's always telling her son that he's no good. Track wasn't any good. Basketball isn't any good. Baseball isn't any good. Coach Cassidy tries to interject, but Mrs. Ferdinand ain't having it and will not let him have a word in edgewise. Beverly Goldberg, anybody? She says, you won't give him a chance, just like these other brats. He's a brilliant athlete, and you're afraid of his talent. 
At that moment, Tim Drake and his friends Ives and a couple other classmates are walking by and hears most of the conversation. Tim thinks all that's missing right now for this parent is a helicopter. They hear Mrs. Ferdinand threaten to go to the school board and make sure that Coach Cassidy is fired. Tim Drake says he feels bad for Ray, and maybe the three of them should hang out with Ray for a little bit. Ives quickly interjects and says, Tim, think about it, Timbo. Think about spending just five minutes with Raymond Ferdinand. Do you really hate yourself that much? The three of them walk away, but Tim can't help but think about Ray's home life, and that it's not all what it's cracked up to be. From the outside, it's probably exactly how it is on the inside. Tim thinks he's probably alone and desperate. At the Ferdinand home, Mrs. Ferdinand is just as hard on her husband as she was on Mr. Cassidy. She wants her son in a private school, ASAP. But Mr. Ferdinand doesn't make that kind of money. But Mrs. Ferdinand is not hearing it, and he better find out any way possible to get his son into a school. This is what's best for him. He says maybe he can come up with something it might not be legal or moral, but he can get it done. He goes downstairs to his basement and starts mixing some chemicals. He's an assistant at a research company that's fallen on hard times, so he has a lot of stuff in his basement to start mixing some things. You know, the kind of stuff that can get you arrested. Big time arrested. Bad boys, what you going... Okay, never mind. The next day at school, Tim spots a junior walking through the class named Bob Burling. He's clearly wigged out, strung out on something. Tim wonders what he's gotten himself into and thinks that uh, he may have to get some answers as Robin. Later that night, Robin takes the Redbird on patrol and follows Bob to Kitty Park Playground. There he sees Bob and a bunch of other upstanding role model citizens, yeah right, hanging out at the park, definitely up to no good. Robin can clearly tell that there's a handoff that's going to be taking place. He decides to hang out in the shadows and see what's happening. Robin comes out from the shadows and breaks it up, telling them the park is closed and they better take a hike. He thinks, wow, this actually kind of worked. And then a knife comes out. Here we go. And it's at this point, let me just say one word. Yeah, maybe two. Norm Brayfogle. All right, one more time. Norm friggin' Brayfogle. Okay, back to the action. Robin takes out his bow staff. Before any of them can realize, Robin has quickly disarmed one of the thugs to the ground and swings his bow staff around into the swings in the park, hitting one of the other thugs in the face with the swing. Two down, one to go. And then Robin hears a gun cock. Great. Somebody brought a knife and a gun to a knife and a gunfight. Anyway, the gun is fired. Robin swings around with his bow staff and deflects the bullet. Amazing. He deflected the bullet and it shot his bow staff right in two. Awesome. So now it's time for the old foot to the face, knee to the stomach move. Robin quickly takes down Banana Headband Man to the ground and hears, watch out behind you. And almost out of a move from Batman 89, Robin barely turns around with one fist and clocks the guy to the ground in his backwards baseball cap. Nice job, dude. Robin turns to Bob and says, I told you to take a hike and maybe run to the rehab center, preferably. Robin rounds up the three and throws a bat rope around him. And like Batman told him, it's time to look for clues. And Robin does so very thoroughly and finds a baggie on the ground with white substance in it and sees a logo stamped on it. On the plastic, telling him where his sparring partners got the stuff from. Robin sees the logo on the plastic bag. It's sad that anybody would put illegal substance in a plastic bag with a logo of their company's name on the bag, giving them the information that Robin clearly needs or anybody. Robin races to where the drugs are manufactured from. Robin hopes he's not too late. Meanwhile, the Ferdinand's home, Ray's going through his father's laboratory and opens up various drawers until he finds what he's looking for. A gun. A few moments later in the Ferdinand's living room, the situation has reached a fever pitch. 
Ray has reached his breaking point. It's telling his father and mother that he's going to make everyone pay for how he's been treated. I'm going to show you, Mommy and Daddy, he says. I'm better than any of those, especially Coach Cassidy. I'm going to show him most of all. Ray's father asks his son if he's been down in his lab where he's been, you know, making stuff. Ray pauses for a moment and then heads out the door. Seconds later, the Redbird pulls up and Robin quickly gets out of his disguise and is back into Tim Drake. He races up to the steps of the porch. Tim talks to the Ferdinand, saying he was willing to hang out with Ray. When he sees Ray's parents half crying on the front porch, saying it's all their fault that he was going to go to Coach Cassidy's house. Tim knows that he has not a second to lose. He hops back in the Redbird, gets back into his Robin disguise, and gives chase. Robin knows if he's been in his father's lab, he's probably half stoned, and when your brains are scrambled like that, you can't think straight, and you're in a fragile state of mind and Ray's already not in a good place. Robin spots the Ferdinand's car parked in the new location for Gotham Heights High School, still under major construction. Robin sees two figures going up the elevator, the top of the construction site. Robin leaps out of the Redbird and races to the construction site, leaping from girder to girder, trying to reach the elevator before it makes it to the top of the shaft. Robin makes it to the top of the construction site to find Ray holding a gun to Coach Cassidy's son. He's taking the coach's son hostage and hopes that the coach will come to try and get his son back. Robin knows what Ray has planned and wastes no time to kick the gun out of Ray's hand. Robin yells at Cassidy to take the elevator down and call the Ferdinands. He'll be down in a few minutes with Ray. Robin barely gets a sentence out when Ray swings a pipe wrench at Robin's head. Considering his bow staff has been shot in two, Robin grabs a pipe from himself and begins swinging back and forth with Ray. Robin puts one foot on that loose board we talked about and, well... You know that uh, the greatest American hero has just taken flight, and we're now caught back up with the story. In that moment, when Robin falls off the building, Ray realizes he just killed somebody. Luckily for Robin and Ray, Robin was able to catch himself partway down and pulls himself back up, only to find Ray on his hands and knees crying. Robin escorts Ray most of the way down, leaving Ray to walk to the police, and his overbearing mother is coming towards him. Ray tells his mother, they never did this to them. Whatever was done, we did to ourselves. We need to admit that. The police escort Ray to the squad car, a shocked mother still not realizing what she's done to her son over these years. Robin hopes on the rooftop when Ray admitted his responsibility that maybe he and the Ferdinands have a chance. Maybe. All right, so there was the synopsis for Detention Comics and a few promos from our guest here. Detention Comics number one, I want to get right to looking at the front cover. Initially, when I was just scanning the cover, when I I actually bought this off eBay because I went through the couple shops that I had around the area and I kept saying Detention Comics. (laughs) And and they were like, How many funny looks did you get? And I actually got a, Do you mean Detective Comics? I know you're probably familiar with Laughing Ogre. In, uh, oh right, sure. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. And so I had gone there, and they were like, "Do you mean Detective Comics?" And I was like, "No, it's Detention Comics." And once I showed the image, they was like, "Oh, I think maybe I have that." And you know, he looked through a couple of different things, couldn't yeah. find anything. So I had to break down and <laughs> buy this on eBay. So I think I actually paid a, a full dollar more, and that was including the shipping of the comic. Okay, okay. So it wasn't too bad. So for a it. for a three dollar and fifty cent cover price i actually paid four dollars i think 52 cents from my book but that also included shipping so i thought i got a, a pretty good deal on it but, but if you think about it between us we spent like just over five bucks for our two issues yeah so that's actually that's so a if you amortize it as we say in finance 
<laughs> right, right, exactly. I think this initially, when I was looking at the front cover, I was really surprised at first. Like, why isn't Bart on the front cover of this? You would have had almost a quasi Young Justice, you mm, know, team right. up book here. But then I got to thinking, like you were mentioning, like each one of them have has a different facet of their schooling life uh, in there. With you know, Guy Gardner being a teacher and Tim being a student, and Connor being the perfect perpetual kid that doesn't feel like he deserves to go to or doesn't need to go to school so i think they all worked really well but i love this uh, front cover and i'm trying to pull up uh, my info really quick as a great professional podcaster uh, the front cover goes to joe phillips and dexter vines and i'm not i wouldn't say i'm not familiar i'm not familiar with their names well enough to be able to say oh that's a joe phillips cover but the artwork looks familiar enough. Like, yeah, I've seen this style before, but I'm having a hard time recalling where I know Joe Phillips's name mm, from. Do you have no. any? No, no, don't know. Uh, but what do you think about the uh, front cover with what it appears to probably that guy has broken the front door off and then Connor and Tim. Connor looks like he's fallen out and Tim's probably trying to scold both of them and you got the chalkboard with <laughs> detention comics. Just like a, it's that. a fun cover. I like that the uh, you know the bus driver has got big eyes trying to figure out what's happening and then you know the principal of the school who's sort of vaguely cosplaying as Clark Kent, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> so chubby gone to seed Clark Kent just a little bit uh it's it's weirdly it's kind of nineties ish. It's got a lot of colors. Everyone's a little a little extreme. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guy Gardner warriors there. If, <laughs> if 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 you don't need any other evidence of the time period, but it's it's uh, it's nineties ish in 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 a fun, not so serious way, and right. that totally works for me. One of the other things that I just the little nuances of the the papers kind of fluttering on the top of it. And it Mm -hmm. took me a little bit to realize that it was a chalkboard. I thought, oh, the font for Mm -hmm. Detention Comics looks (laughs) a little funny. Then you could see the little chalk on top of the chalkboard. And you're like, oh, it's actually a chalkboard fits into the school school theme. So I thought this was a fun cover. Like sometimes we say like the covers isn't indicative of what's inside of the issue. And, you know, this scene does not happen anywhere, but it's to let you know. It is definitely reflective of the contents that are in it. Yeah. So let's crack this thing open. We see the three stories in here. We have Robin and Mama's Boy, uh, Superboy in the Lesson, and uh, Warrior in Home, which we won't be covering the Guy Gardner Warrior and uh, the Superboy story. We'll just be looking at Robin. But just looking at the talent that they have on here, uh, Ron Mars is writing the story for the Lesson. And Ruben Diaz is doing the story for the Guy Gardner story. So, and Denny O'Neill is doing uh, the Tim Drake story. So they really, it wasn't like the, I feel like if this book had come out now, you would probably get a new showcase type of a vibe. Like these these are some people that are just starting and this is a vehicle for them. So they actually put, not even some decent talent, they put some top name talent in this. It wasn't something they were just throwing together but like we were saying at the beginning of the show i felt like it was kind of thrown out and wasn't advertised as well if it was i really wasn't aware of it and this would have been something i think i would have been all over had i known this book was coming out yeah i mean i i heard of this book the exact moment that i decided to buy it i mean (laughs) i had never heard of it until flipping through flipping through those bins a little while back 
but you're you're definitely right. This this Robin story in particular, this is a lot of talent. Yeah, yeah. Denny O'Neill, as our as our podcasting friends say, Norm freaking Brayfogle. Yes, and Klaus Jansen. That's a that's a talented power pack team. Yeah, and it's it's at the it's at the height of all three of them. Yes, yes. You know, Denny is the editor, and obviously he was still writing Azrael at this time. But I think what's even more bizarre is the wrong word. I'm, I guess, shocking. I guess what I will say that this is the only time he's really written Tim Drake. Right? In, yeah, you said it, that. Interesting. Yeah, it, in a solo story. So. Initially, I thought, oh, there's going to be a moment where he's going to throw Batman in here. And I just kind of get ahead <laughs> of ourselves. But, you know, Batman appears nowhere in there yeah. in this. It, Batman is more and Batman's name isn't even mentioned in the book. He always says things like uh, my mentor, my teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. He refers to himself as the pupil at, at one point, <laughs> really skirting, putting that more in probably in the overall thematic vibe of. Yeah. Of the, of the context, which I think it works. So I think some of those times that when some people do a Robin story, they feel the need, like, no, oh, we we got to have a Batman reference in here. Or we got to say, well, why isn't Batman here? We're going to have a throwaway mm, right. line that he's he's with the Justice League or he's doing something like that. And Denny keeps this very straight all the way through. And like you said, Norm friggin' Brayfogle, I mean... Uh, not one to jump all over the place, but one of the first things that just caught my eye is I love Norm's Brayfogle. Or Bray, I love Norm's Brayfogle. I love Norm's <laughs> Batmobile design, but him drawing the Redbird is absolutely yeah. amazing. Because I'm making both of us flip through pages here, <laughs> but uh, on page what is it, sixteen, uh, the top panel. Oh, night, right. I mean you. Any Norm fan could take a look at this photo, and I would, <laughs> if I put the Batman, or if I put the Batmobile right next to this, you, I think even by itself, you could probably look at this and go, I think that's a Norm Brayfogle drawing. Nice. So the like you heard in the synopsis, the story in a nutshell is it starts and bookends itself the same way it begins, the same way it essentially ends with Tim and an assailant holding a pipe wrench, and you find out that this is classmate of Tim's that uh, something isn't quite right on how um, they got to this point. And uh, Tim realizing that he's probably a little more agile than uh, this kid is kid is. And if he could just tire him out, uh, the two of them could talk and the preceding a few panels uh, shows us that Tim takes a nasty slip off the top of the skyscraper. And we get into the story. So one of the first things that you kind of find out with, with called mama's boy that uh, Ray, I believe is uh, mm-hmm. the young yep. lad's name is the epitome of what a mama's boy is, which I don't know if you're familiar with the show, the Goldbergs mm, at all. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the characters, you know, the mother is going to mother hen everybody. And, you know, my son's not, not getting enough attention. My son's not on the football team. My son is not getting all the opportunities. And with this being 96, I really feel like Denny was channeling 2020 or 2019 yeah. in this. And I don't mean it, anything bad by it but the sorry millennials this idea that (laughs) everybody deserves to get equal opportunity to do not that everybody shouldn't but you know what i mean that you know somebody has to set the bench somebody somebody is going to be better than somebody else and giving that 
that false sense of hope and adulation to somebody is like, well, my son deserves a trophy or this, that, or the mm-hmm. other, I think can have, if it's not done in the right way, can lead to some dangerous, you know, missteppings that Denny kind of shows what can happen here when you have like the, the, the soccer mom mentality coming mm-hmm. in. So did that, did that kind of strike you as like more of a, a current thing? Like, yeah, that was interesting. I like, uh, is my baby Sweetums hungry? I'll buy him a great big malted milk. Will he like that? And this is after uh, not succeeding as a track practice or something mm-hmm. like that, not making the team. And I'm not sure that the malted milk, the, uh, sorry, the great big malted milk is actually going to help him on the uh, on the hurdles. Right, exactly. I have seen you know some of this before with, you know, just even being in school, having that parent where mm-hmm. come into the field and you're just like, I don't. Do do they not know how how this works? And she's just really disrespectful to the coach and putting her son in this awkward predicament. And Tim and Ives and one of his other classmates are kind of taking notice of this. And something that I've always liked about Tim's character that Tim goes right to saying, well, well, maybe we should ask him to hang out. And Ives is really quick to be like, uh, Tim, is that what you want to do? You almost get the feeling like you're asking the bully like to hang out with us. Do you realize <laughs> right. how, how, how bad that's going to be? But that's something that's always been at the core of uh, Tim's character. What'd you think about the interaction with Tim, even though he doesn't have the up close interaction, but where Tim's heart is. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously, you know, coming from the, I like Batman and I probably is in that sense, Robin qualifies as well when they're in detective mode. Mm-hmm. As much as superhero beat 'em up mode, you know they should be observant, smarter uh, than average. They should be able to sort of see a situation like this, note that something's different, note that this kid needs help. You know, just be at a situational awareness, you know, something like that, and then combine that with a good heart. Yeah, and even just the way that Norm is drawing the the facial expressions with the mother yelling at the coach yeah. and towards her son. And then you get the opposite contrast of that with Tim you know, up on the top of page seven with Tim's eyes closed. And even just hearing what mm-hmm. Ives is saying, yeah. you can kind of convey where Tim's going. Ives is right, but I don't know in his heart. He knows that's not the right action. Like if, yeah. if Batman were here, he would probably say, yeah, you probably, you're seeing a problem at hand and you're taking more of the, the easy way out of it. And wow, we'll just let mom and dad deal with it. Mm-hmm. The abuse isn't stopping there just between, I wouldn't say abuse. It's just more, again, mother heading her son, but that's coming back to her husband. Like one problem is right. creating another problem, yep. which, you know, he needs to have more money. He's and like, he even says, get him out of that terrible public school. Yeah. Well, we can't afford this. Well, you get the money. Yeah. 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 And and he, and, he, and that I mean that's a successful plotting. It's just oh, yeah. you know every, every every action is leading on from a prior action or conversation. And that was something I always really liked about Denny's mm-hmm. writing is it doesn't ever seem like the story just like I don't know how we got to this point where the dad starts to go down and starts essentially making some type of dr- drugs of, right. of of some type that that now falls into another classmate. But I think Denny 
has those logical steps of like, okay, this happened. And he, the dad even says it, you know, he'll come up with the money somehow or do something. I don't know if it's really legal or not, but he's going to go ahead and do that because at his core intention, he has those, like, I, I want my son to succeed, but I think I also want my wife off my back Yeah, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and so, then sort of in true... You know, uh, you know, with 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 these teens, uh, teen sidekick, fat, you know, fashion, where you know we're supposed to identify, or the uh, with the w- with the young character, the young character supposed really is supposed to be the hero. It is, you know, it 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 is Ray, who eventually delivers the moral of the story. You know, it's, yeah. you know Ray is the one that has the has the revelation. You know. You know, the mom saying, you know, what happened? What did they do to you? Is it, they didn't do anything to us. Whatever, you know, we did, we did to ourselves. And her reaction is, how can you say such a thing? <laughs> you know, which would be the same reaction if a neighbor said this to her or, you know, a, a friend of hers said something to her. You know, how can you say this about my family? Yeah, and it's really kind of sad. Like, she can't, for the moment where Ray and Robin are up on the top of the scaffolding and Robin right. falls off... Before Robin comes back up out of the shadows, he's sitting there with his hands in his head like, oh, my gosh, I've killed him. And he's realizing he was pushed to this, whether it be emotionally or just stress from home and school and all that stuff. And mom still doesn't get it at yeah. at the end, which I think is even I think it's always one of Denny's best strong points to, you know, put that story in the bookend at the end, like one person gets it and the other doesn't, or right. sometimes the story doesn't have, it doesn't have the happy ending where mother and son have the embrace. Like the son gets up, he's going to go home to the current situation and probably leading to believe that he may go home and dad could be in jail. And now mm-hmm. it's just he and his yeah. mom. So um, I, again, it's another one of those things that I really like Denny for, for the story. Yeah, and and like you're saying on on the art, you know, Ray's his the sense of, you know, if it's fear, you know, when he sees Robin, uh, you know, falling over, um, you know, it's, uh, sweat beating off him, and and then again towards the end, it's more of a sorrowful, uh, you know, feeling. It's just it's just a wonderfully rendered, uh, you know, emotional uh, characterizations that you're seeing. Yeah. And also with the art, too, in almost the surprint in that, you know, we have Robin falling on 21, and then it happens uh, earlier in the book, too, mm-hmm. on page four, where you have Robin falling, and then that bigger headshot that's distorted through the rain and mm-hmm. all of that was always a good staple of something that you would see Bray Fogle do. And, I mean, this fits right in line with what he was doing on Detective. I think by Detective and Batman both, I think by this point, Norm was off of the Bat title. I don't know if he was, I can't remember what he was doing uh, right around this point, but uh, this would have been fresh to see him draw Tim again. Uh, Just the coloring (coughs) in the shadows on 18 and 19 Mm. are are always so cool in the blues and uh, light blues and blacks uh, with the thunder and lightning and even more in their battle scenes and some of the insert panels on 19 and uh, I believe it's 20, maybe it's 18. Yeah. 
I'm losing it somewhere, but where it's all red and bra- red and black and, and monochrome right. colors, I think are so, so cool. And it almost makes Tim's costume look like the one year later costume because Gone, oh, okay. right. Gone is the uh, the green, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. just very, very cool. Uh, what were some standout moments that you, uh, that you had reading through this? Well, I like here, again, just in this fight scene towards the end, you know, if you're if you're fighting up top on a construction site, now obviously, you know, our heroes are, are, are you know are supposed to be superhuman, but it's pouring down rain. There's going to be some loose boards. I mean, it's like sort of the reality of that, if you will. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're not going to be able to fight and dance and never slip, right? So, and it obviously had the character moment of giving Ray something to be incredibly guilty about for a couple of pages. Yeah. You know, when he thought he had he had killed Robin in the in the fight. Also thought that the playground fight scene about halfway yes. through yep. was uh I mean it put Daredevil the Daredevil movie to shame. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how that- a uh, how a playground fight scene should go. Yes. Uh, that was the sequence that I was looking for was in the playground with the monochrome of uh, Tim's costume mm-hmm. looking like one year later. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all silent panel work. Uh, right. no, no text really other than on the top of 19. It says, then things go uh, ferocious. Uh, Norm's, <laughs> Norm's fluid movement yeah. in here is just absolutely amazing. Using the bow staff to hit the swings and the swing, those rubber, I don't know if you've been hit by one of those rubber swings, like to go jump off the swing mm-hmm. and whatever, <laughs> got hit in the face with them one of those one time. So seeing that panel, I was like, holy crap, that hurts. But, uh, you know, the beginning of the story where Tim's holding the lead pipe, I'm like, why doesn't he have his bow staff mm, in, right. in this fight? And on page 13 you see the reason why he doesn't have the bow staff is that he is narrowly shot in the face by Mm -hmm. uh, one of the assailants here and the bow staff saves his life but is broken in the process and i don't really think that was anything i've really seen in tim drake having his primary weapon be broken not even with like king snake or or bane or something like that but with it being shot here, but then using the slide as some cover and then right. the monkey bars. It's just, these were a series of panels. And then even on 14 where Tim lands and the uh, school kid that, you know, was hopped up on drugs mm-hmm. tells Tim to watch out. And then Tim delivers that uppercut is just, <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful. Like that was worth the $4 and 50 cents. I, I paid, <laughs> I paid for this book. So that, and- that and then great. he ties him up, and then he does some detective work. Yeah. You know, that's and, how he sort of tracks down Ray, and the dad figures that all out. Yeah. And you don't see it happen very much with uh, any of the Robins, really, because normally their capes are a little shorter. But Tim's cape, cape is long enough where he almost gets in that Batman crouched pose where the, the cape is just resting on the ground and almost looks like this ominous shadow. And Tim's kind of creating that and has the the bag of narcotics that is that Tim can see that is made by somebody. This isn't, it looks homemade more than distributing made. So I also liked that Denny gave that detective work to Tim as well. So again, a a very cool scene with Ray getting the gun in this going down to his, his dad's lab. And I think I knew that's where 
where the story was going to go, but I didn't really realize it was going to be the coach's son that he was going to take up to the scaffolding. I really kind of thought it was going to be the coach himself. Were you surprised by it being the coach's son or was that telegraphed for you that, okay, that's clearly what, who he's going to go after? You know, I, I, I wasn't sort of thinking that that one through in terms of anticipating, but when we got there, it made sense. I mean, it made sense. It would be one of those two. Yeah. Also liked the interior shots of Tim being in the Redbird. I think, yeah. So I mean, it's it's always hard to draw a car. Like car chases in comic books don't quite work as right. well as they would on obviously in live action or in animation. But I think Norm does a really good job of having the red bird in motion and normally those conversations normally it's a conversation in a car where it's point A to right. point B, but uh, the two panels on 17 with Tim in the red bird and I always like how it's tinted, that he has a green mm-hmm. windshield, so the in- interior lights are, are tinted. But even the attention to detail in the bottom of 17, where Tim is looking through the windshield, but you see all the buttons and the things off in the right. Uh, right-hand corner. Just th- those little things that they put in there makes it seem more, uh, more real-world and uh, more functional for the story. But I think the use of the Redbird, which I was... I, I've always loved the Redbird car, so seeing that is just really kind of uh, always fun. And plus, having Norm draw it, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's definitely a cool looking vehicle. Certainly in this rendition, I I don't know if there's much more else to say uh, for this mm-hmm. book. It's, I mean, Denny does a really great job of telling it in what twenty twenty three pages, which. I mean, this this would suffice to say to be its own. This could have been in the Robin ongoing series, and I would have paid a buck fifty for this all day long and have loved every second of it. But I feel like this is one of those hidden gems again. Things like you end up finding in the fifty cent bin or the quarter bin, <laughs> where th- this would have been a, a very cool thing to to pick up back in the day. But to to find it for fifty cents is, I think, is a steal for what we're given here and it really makes me miss this this style of storytelling i i like some of the things that are going on in dc at the moment but the more i read stuff like this it kind of makes me wish things like this were going on uh what are some final thoughts you have for uh this robin uh denny o'neill uh led story you know i was not into comics a lot right in this era and i joke you know if you're going to be out of comics for a decade you know 95 to 2008 is the perfect time to be out of comics <laughs> i mean talk about you know uh a a, a jumping off decade uh yeah. so but it is always fun to pick up these mid to late 90s and then up 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 into the 2000s books that i hadn't read before and you know you go in with some trepidation with some anti-90s bias yeah. And, you know, sometimes you can get surprised. And and, and, I, and I will say just f- uh, for this overall issue, uh, point out that Superboy story is, is, is okay. Uh, yeah. But this and the Guy Gardner story, I thought were both pretty good. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't want to Well above average. That. Good good to very good. Yeah. the I was not as impressed with, like, reading the Robin story. I was like, oh, wow, I, I really can't wait to read the Superboy story. And I was the same way. It felt a little flat to me, like mm-hmm. if any one of these three stories was phoned in, I really kind of think it yeah. was a Superboy story. 
And I was not expecting much out of the Guy Gardner story. Like, I, yeah. this is probably one of the only warrior stories I have read on purpose ever. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Guy is a substitute teacher in a school where powers have been manifesting. Come on, it's a perfect fit. <laughs> I mean, if there's anyone you want to see as a, a substitute high school teacher, it might be Guy Gardner. Yeah, so. might. And especially when he's got his wings out and all this stuff. And I was like, <laughs> are, are you kidding me? But. That aside, I really did enjoy this uh, story. I had begrudgingly read it today. I thought, oh, I probably ought to just read through these other two stories in case yep. <laughs> you did loosely want to talk about them. And I was just like, you know what? I I dug this. And the back of my mind, you know, the, the comic book collector and you goes, go check out more Guy Gardner, Rob. And I'm going, no. <laughs> no, wait, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, oh, you're not going to get me, comic book. <laughs> you're not going to do that. So, uh, uh, I mean, on a on a clear conscience, I cannot recommend four dollars and fifty two cents for this. No, but if you get it a little less than that, if you run across it somewhere in the wild, it's kind of a fun read. Yeah, this is something for if you're asking. I looked. This is not on the DC Universe app at all. Mm, hadn't so, even thought about that, right? Yeah. yeah. So th- <laughs> this is something like for me being the robin nerd i was willing to pay may i i, I was probably going to pay more for it just because sure. yep. i i yep. felt i had to have it but i think the better find is if you can find this in a bin somewhere i'll even go on a limb and say at 2 bucks it would yeah. be it yeah. would be definitely worth uh the price and and the gas money to go to go pick this up <laughs> see you have to include that good thinking good yeah. thinking yeah it's, good thinking it's one of those things when, you know, my wife's a scrapbooker, so we'll go to all these scrapbook stores. And one of the first things she says is like, all right, I'm willing to pay, spend this much money on scrapbook supplies, but we're going to go to drive to Toledo or we're going to go to <laughs> Fort Wayne. So that's got to figure in. She's like, so I need to get more value out of the stuff that I get than we spend on gas. If we spend more on gas, then I should just stay home. <laughs> so that's when he say, I love you, honey, yes. very much. <laughs> and then when I want to go spend three dollars and 99 cents on a book because it wasn't in my pull box and the closest place i can get it because i don't have a shop is in lima she's like we're going to spend more on gas i'm like can we go out and eat then okay that's fine (laughs) so and and somehow when she says we're going to spend more on gas i've got a feeling she emphasizes the words moron i've just got a feeling i that there's a there's a there's a little needle in there rob when she's when she uses (laughs) moron in a sentence i'm just saying and and I tell her, well, you're more on than me. And she would usually say, well, it takes one to know one. So See? there's there's really no arguing. Uh, Professor Allen, this has been an absolute blast to have you on the show. Where can people get a hold? Well, first of all, what do you have coming up on, on your shows? Where can people get a hold of you if they would like to track down some of your amazing shows? Well, thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Most of my work can be found at the Relatively Geeky podcast network there you can find my solo shows the quarter bin podcast where i talk about the best kinds of comics cheap comics Mm -hmm. and the comics reading journal and as long as dr doom has an ongoing we review that every month on a show called doom speak and uh, uh a show that uh me and my 28 almost 29 year old m do together the short box showcase and then also the two of us have been doing a side project for four or five years now called Dorkness to Light, mm. which has its own separate feed. And over there we talk about 
specifically religious and sort of spiritual content that appears in various forms of pop culture. So if any of that stuff interests you, come on over. And I was trying to find a way to say this and not make the sentence sound weird or odd, but I don't know (laughs) another way to say this. There have been very few people that have gotten me to moo like a cow for them, (laughs) a a bat cow. That was a lot of fun to do. Look, my attempts to do (laughs) a comic book-based audio drama, let's be honest, pale in comparison to your own. (laughs) So I thought it was funny to give the person who did this really well the (laughs) dumbest part in the whole thing. And uh, and I, you nailed it, buddy. <laughs> you nailed it. That that was one of those that uh, I clearly made sure my wife was not home for. I have Fridays <laughs> off, and I thought, you know, it's one thing for me to be podcasting in the next room, and you know, she's like, "Oh, it sounded like you were having a good time." But if I'd have been sitting in here mooing, and she was in the next room, she would have been like, "What in the world are you doing?" But I did play her back that, and she shook her head, and she's like. I really like them. And I said, <laughs> them who? She's like, there's people on the podcast. I was like, what do you think about the cow? And she just kind of looked at me. She goes, well, their show is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the best compliment I think I could give to you from my wife that she loved it, but was not at all. Like it didn't even phase her at all. Like, uh, of, of course, you're, I said, it's bat cow. And she just nodded her head. So of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Oh, well, Alan, this is this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you are welcome back at the the Drake House anytime, and thanks for taking time out of your day to help celebrate eighty years of Robin. It's, it's how been a about pleasure that? Anyway. How about that? Happy birthday, buddy! All right, so <laughs> this is where we're going to put a pen in it for this episode, folks. On the behalf of my special guest, Professor Alan Milton, this is Rob, and you are listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And more importantly, you're listening to the 80th anniversary of Robin. We'll see you in a couple weeks for the next installment. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net. your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.